Hello and welcome to Staff Picks, the podcast for movie nerds by movie nerds. As always, I'm Mario Lanza and I am your host on our journey through the movies out there that just need a little more love. And congratulations to Staff Picks today. This is officially our 100th episode. It's taken me two and a half years to get here. It's uh, been quite a ride. It's been uh, lots of ups and downs, lots and lots of work, a lot of fun feedback from my listeners. And uh, because I have a lot of loyal listeners out there, I'm going to do something a little special today for our 100th, for our centennial, is uh, I have one of my friends uh, who has been on the show before, Christopher Chardy. He uh, was on the Sporloosh, the, the Vanishing podcast, and he did a great job. And he's known me in real life for a long time. Probably out of all my Staff Picks co-hosts, he's the one that knows me the best. And so I'm like, hey, why don't you come on and you can just kind of talk to me or interview me about Staff Picks, kind of the ins and outs of running this podcast, little trivia bits, uh, just uh, picking my brain, just any little thing that people might want to know about the show. Again, this is for you guys who listen to the show all the time. I know I have a small but pretty dedicated listener base. So again, this is for you guys. Thanks for listening. Happy 100th episode. And I'm going to put my hands in the uh, the skills of Christopher Charty here to interview me. And from here on out, Christopher, welcome to the show. It's all yours. Hey, Mario. <laughs> it's great to be back. Um, man, <laughs> It's actually kind of an honor to have me on for the hundredth episode. I, I'm I'm real happy to be here. So this should be fun. And I I didn't realize that I've known you longer than any of your other guests. I I know we go way back. Uh, probably wouldn't you say late nineties, maybe even mid nineties. I would say. Even. Oh, good lord! Yeah, because <laughs> didn't we meet on the on the SNL board? Was it Jordan's SNL board? Is that what it was? Yeah, many years ago, Christopher and I were both. Saturday Night Live episode reviewers way back in the early days of the internet and he and I just knew each other from that message board I mean this is uh, so long ago this is early days of the internet this is like AOL days yeah yeah and and I have a a website that I started around then you know some rinky dink website I don't even maintain it anymore but uh, you were one of the first people I had in my links section because I started p- pimping my friends' websites, and and you're you're still in there. I'm sure if I go to the site, you're still in the that links section. So that was a long time ago. <laughs> Do you remember uh, why you pimped my website? Um, I think I don't remember. I th- I think we just hit it off on the board and started chatting, and I was like, oh, this guy's really cool, and he's like down to earth, and he knows a lot of trivia, and he's really into movies, and. Um, and then I think you just sent me your, your website and I remember there were, there were pictures of you and celebrities too. Like there was one, (laughs) one of you and Jesse Jackson in an airplane, I think. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I ran into Jesse Jackson on a Southwest flight back in 1994. (laughs) (laughs) Which sounds like an SNL sketch. (laughs) Yeah. No, the reason you pimped my website is because I wrote movie reviews. So even back in the day, you're like, Hey, this guy writes about obscure and random movies. Let's link to him. Yeah, that sounds about right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so 
You'd be the, yeah, this is why you're the perfect person to interview me, because you're the only one who really knows me outside the show. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, I, I think I know, you know, as I was talking to you before we, we, we kind of uh, set this up, is I kind of know a lot of your quirks, and I know a lot of your beliefs on film and, and pop culture in general. So a lot of these questions I'm going to ask, I kind of already know the answers to. Um, but but I, I think, you know, people out there probably don't know. So you've got some gotchas lined up, don't you? <laughs> uh, no, no. Uh, I have a couple of funny questions, especially near the end um, that you may not be expecting, but nothing, you know, nothing salacious or anything. Okay. For, for, for my listeners, I have a very controlled online persona. I'm very careful what I give out. And that's one thing that people may not realize. People listen to me all the time or read my stuff. You actually don't know much about me. I'm very guarded with what I give out. Christopher knows a lot of this stuff, so I'm a little nervous on some of these. Oh, no. Don't be nervous. <laughs> I'm not going to embarrass you or anything. But uh, okay. no, I, I just, I, I you know, I, I tried to pick questions that I think would lead to interesting discussion uh, and certain, you know, quirks of your personality that, that maybe I don't even fully understand, but maybe you can expound on a little. <laughs> Scientists have wondered about these for years. That's right. That's right. This is research. This is uh, for science. All right. So feel free to hit me with whatever you want. Uh, again, just uh, this is not planned. I'm letting everyone know this is all completely off the cuff. He has been working on things that might be interesting to talk about on staff picks for a while. I have no idea what's coming. This is the first episode I've ever gone into completely unprepared. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> no pressure or anything. <laughs> yeah, all the pressure's on you now. Yeah, this is yeah. your show. <laughs> I think something that's really interesting is that that uh, as I was telling you before we started is I think we agree on a lot of things in pop culture, but we also disagree on a lot of things. Yes. So that might interest that might lead to some interesting avenues during the course of this discussion. I'm sure it will. <laughs> <laughs> so you know some of these are kind of basic and and kind of softball. So I'm going to start out by asking you uh, what was your earliest memory of seeing a movie not necessarily one that you liked but just your earliest memory of seeing one <laughs> no not so you're assuming that i was in a movie theater bitching when i was four years old and saying a movie sucked <laughs> i wouldn't I mean, be you, surprised I mean. yeah you wouldn't be surprised okay the first movie this would be in the late 70s 77 78 I know I saw Star Wars in the theater, but I have a pretty good feeling I saw Pete's Dragon first. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, that was an early one for me, too. Yeah, so I'm guessing we're going Pete's Dragon in Spokane, Washington in the late 70s, and I love that movie. That's one I want to do on Staff Picks one of these days. I just haven't gotten around to it. But Pete's Dragon or The Black Hole would probably be the first two movies I remember seeing in a theater. Oh, wow. Yeah, see, I didn't... I don't think I saw Pete's Dragon in a theater, but I, I know it was one of the first movies I ever saw and I loved it, but I have not seen it since probably the early 80s. So that would be a fun episode to hear. Oh, yeah. You should watch that just for Jim Dale. Jim Dale is so amazing in that movie. He steals it from everybody. I do tend to remember that. Yeah, I, I have a vague m memory of his performance in that. 
Um, yeah, now, big Doc, I'm a big Doc Terminus fan, one of the great villains of all time. So I, maybe I should fast track that episode. I should do Pete's Dragon. Yeah, I would. I'd love to to listen to a discussion of that. And I had a, uh, I still have it, uh, a storybook record of Pete's Dragon, uh, with the you know the, the book in the middle, the gatefold, and mm-hmm. um, it's just a regular sized Disney LP. It's not a 45, but um, I used to listen to that all the time when I was a kid. So. I probably have large swaths of the movie memorized just from the record. <laughs> I don't think my my younger listeners would know what you're talking about. Those records, explain those. Those are uh, those were those are a big part of our childhood. These, uh, you know, these big uh, uh, twelve inch uh, vinyl discs. They're black, and you you know you drag a stylus through them, and they reproduce sound. <laughs> now, I now meant, I meant specifically the what was on the record. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, um, what was on that specific record or? Dude, do I have to answer this for you? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, they had, they, when it was a big movie, they'd put out a record and you could listen along right. to key moments in the record, or in the movie at home, if you were you can, a kid. You can read along with me in your book. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And there was a little narrator. I think the narrator on mine was, oh God, I can't remember. It's a female, female voice that I'm hearing. But yeah, so you could read along with the movie in this storybook, and it would have key scenes from the film, and and sometimes songs, and um, they were very short. I, I think these records were usually like, God, maybe maybe a half hour, yeah, at most. At most. Uh, I've got some re- uh, some Star Wars storybook. Those are forty fives, um, and they're they're real short. I mean, they're probably like twenty minutes long tops. So yeah, so that was a thing back in the day. I, I assume they don't do that anymore, but I don't think so. Well, okay. So yeah, Pete's Dragon, the Black Hole, probably the first two movie memories I have. I will tell you the first movie I remember hating. My mom took me to Fantasia in nineteen seventy nine or eighty, whenever it came out. Uh. <laughs> and even though I did not know this word yet, I came out of there saying, What the fuck was that? That was the worst piece of shit you ever took me to, Mom. You really did? You said that? I hated... No, I didn't say that. My, oh, okay. my mom would have <laughs> smacked me if I ever swore. I did not... I was not allowed to swear growing up. But but yeah, I, I hated Fantasia when I was a kid. It was so boring. See, I love Fantasia, but, you know, I, I, I didn't... I don't think I saw it until later on. And it, it's not really a little kid's movie. No. It's very long, and the pacing is sort of slow, right? Yeah, she might as well have taken me to Apocalypse Now. Right, <laughs> or 2001 <laughs> or something, yeah. yeah. Uh, the, Star, the Star Trek movie, another one that broke me when I was six. Like, what oh, is this? This is so boring and I'm six. Oh, the motion picture? Yes. Yeah, see, I, I love that now, but I had to, like, figure out a way to appreciate it. And I, ironically, um, one of the ways to appreciate it is to realize how much it borrows from 2001. <laughs> Which I love. I know you're not a big Kubrick guy. No. But, and also, uh, when I was six, I was not making that uh, connection. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this is a little pretentious, Mother. I don't know why we're seeing this instead of the fox and the hound. <laughs> I can just imagine a little kid, like, just chomping at the bit for the Stargate sequence in 2001. And, yeah. <laughs> yes, that, that was not me. No. Um, so, spinning off of that... Um, what is the first movie you saw in a theater uh, that you remember really impacting you? Ooh, goodness. 
Okay, I will. I will answer this. Is it's the similar answer to the last one, but I'm just going to pick the other movie instead of Pete's Dragon. We're going to go with the Black Hole. Yeah, yeah. I would love to hear more about that because no one ever talks about the Black Hole. Yeah, that was a really impactful movie to me because it scared the crap out of me. And I don't know if people even remember the Black Hole or have seen it in decades, but like, there's that big red robot Maximilian. And I was scared to death. of that. I had nightmares about that robot. And I remember my friends did, too. This is like 1979, 80. I'm in kindergarten. Yeah. And you see this big red robot. He has a spinning propeller blade, and he kills people. At one time, he, he takes his little propeller, and he drills it right into Anthony Perkins' heart and kills him. And, like, oh this gosh. is a Disney movie for kids. So I really remember that movie just scaring me. And I was terrified of Maximilian. I, I remember that like it was yesterday. You know, now that you started talking about this, I have a memory of that robot. Mm -hmm. But I have not thought about this film, like you said, in, in decades. But I remember this robot, Maximilian, and I'm, I'm actually looking at images now. And, yeah, this is kind of terrifying. <laughs> yeah, I want to just fill people in who are my younger listeners. Disney did all animated stuff, and then they did little kid stuff, and they tried to branch out into sci-fi and more adult stuff in the late 70s, and the Black Hole was their answer to Star Wars. And it's PG-rated. There's murders in it. It's scary. It's it's <laughs> it, The ending is super trippy. It's a, Like, I want to do it on staff picks maybe one day, but it's not that good. It doesn't hold up that well. But there's certain things about it that are so distinct that I really want to talk about. Now, is this the Disney movie that they say sort of ruined Disney until about The Little Mermaid? Is, am I remembering that correctly? I believe you are correct. It was a huge flop, if I recall. Yeah, yeah, I seem to recall that, too. Yeah, but it, it made quite an impact on every single kid I knew at, at that point. Like, there was Star Wars and Darth Vader, but he was, he was scary. But Maximilian in The Black Hole was way scarier, and he was the one we all remembered. Yeah, I, I have to go back and see this again. I mean, because you just hearing you talking about it is bringing back memories of seeing it. But I, honestly, I've not thought about it in a long time. Yeah, nor should you. It's really not great. It just it's just Maximilian. That's although Robert Forster's in there too. If you like Robert Forster, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I, I really love Robert Forster. In fact, I went to a big tribute to him at the New Beverly Cinema um, last year after he died. It was like a whole month-long tribute to him. And yeah, that was that was really great. So now I have to see it. There you go. We'll see it, and we'll talk about it on Staff Picks. You can come on and be my the black hole guest. Oh, that would be fun. Yeah, although don't accidentally rent the porn version. Uh, <laughs> I hesitate to ask, what is the title <laughs> of the porn version? I think it's the same title. The black hole, yeah. <laughs> Well, that was easy. I mean, <laughs> see, yeah, I'll set that. That was a nice, easy joke. I laid that right up for you. <laughs> okay. Um, <clears throat> so, would you say you've been a huge movie fan for your entire life, or was there a specific moment or a film that you saw that sort of kicked everything into overdrive for you? Yeah, that's a good question. I have to think about that one. the The best way for me to answer that is. You've seen the movie Last Action Hero, right? Yeah, yeah. The kid who lives in the theater. He doesn't really talk to anybody. He just lives for this theater world, this movie world. Mm -hmm. That was kind of me growing up. It was I was a weird kid. I didn't have a lot of friends. 
And it's not that like I'm unpleasant to be around. It's just that I don't have that gene that most people have that makes you want to be around other people where you derive pleasure from social interaction. I don't have that gene that other people do. So I never would interact with other kids. I would just go to the movie theater, stay there all day, watch movies, rent movies, buy movies. And I would just kind of live in this little world where I'm living in the movie world. So that's, there's not really one moment that sent me into overdrive. I was just always like that because I preferred that world over interacting with other humans. And I think that's why you and I kind of hit it off too. <laughs> I had a very similar childhood. Um, for me, it wasn't so much movies. It was, it was probably more music and books. Um, and I, uh, did you ever have imaginary friends growing up? Because I, I had those. I didn't need imaginary friends because my friends were the people in Pete's Dragon. Okay. <laughs> so in a sense, you did. You had like fictional yeah. character friends. Yeah, exactly. The movie, the movie characters were my buddies. Yeah. See, I totally get that. Like, it, it doesn't sound weird to me at all. In fact, I'm still kind of that way. I, th I think we probably both have very small inner circles of people, right? Yeah, some, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I I have one of these smallest. I I've often said I don't really have any close friends. Nobody really knows me other than my wife and that my brother, and that's really about it. And I think that would surprise a lot of people that think they know me. Interesting, interesting. I I I I, I kind of knew that about you already, but. Hmm. <laughs> I like that the two people who had no use for friends or other people somehow found each other and we became friends. <laughs> on an SNL board in the mid nineties. <laughs> yes. Although I should point out, Chris is a good friend of mine. How many times have we ever met in person? <laughs> uh, I think twice, twice. We live <laughs> 10 miles apart. So we've known each other for 25 years. We've met twice and he's one of my best friends. <laughs> and yet I completely understand. Um, you know, several of my best friends, I, I, I either haven't seen much or don't see, you know, we kind of just, sometimes we don't even talk for weeks, but I get it. I completely get it. Thank you. I'm glad I have your blessing, but yeah, <laughs> I was the weird last action hero kid that I totally relate to that kid in that movie. Interesting. So, um, I, I kind of know somewhat about this, but what was the, the catalyst for you starting staff picks? Uh, let's see here. Um, the main thing, like I've done other podcasts. I do, a lot of people know me from the survivor world or from SNL, but you know, all these years I've had all these movies that I love that not everybody loves. Like I don't always love the same stuff that everybody else does. Like you love Ghostbusters <laughs> and I like, I like Ghostbusters too, but it's like everyone loves Ghostbusters. So I can't really get behind it as much as you do just because that's the movie that everybody loves. See, you're already answering one of my questions. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, it's just, I have a thing in me. I have a little thing in me, a little desire to stick up for the underdog or the little guy who doesn't ever get, you know, d defended or anything. And so like your favorite movie is like uh, Ghostbusters. And I'm like, you know what movie I love? Wrestler's Rhapsody from 1984 because nobody's ever heard of it. I hadn't even heard of that one. <laughs> yeah. So that's my thing is I just, all I have all this weird, obscure knowledge about movies that meant something to me. And I just wanted to share them with the world. And I, I, I really don't even consider this a podcast as much as it's a, like a PSA. I'm just telling people, here's cool stuff. Someday I might die. And here's all this knowledge I have imparted out to the world. Maybe one person will stumble across one of these podcasts one day and listen to it and say, hey, that was a good recommendation. And that's really what kind of drove me. I just wanted to leave something like that as my legacy one day. I see. 
Yeah, I, I totally understand sticking up for the underdog. Um, I mean, because like you said, if it's popular, then what's the what's the point of talking it up? Yeah. Um, but that's funny because I was going to specifically ask you about Ghostbusters uh, because, again, I've known you for so long. I, I, I don't really know how you feel about that movie. But but now I get it because would you say it's sort of on the same level as like, I don't know, Seinfeld or something where you just assume everybody likes it and it's like, well, why talk about this? Yeah, it's like Ghostbusters, Caddyshack, Seinfeld, like they don't need somebody talking about them. Like it would be fun to do an episode on Ghostbusters, but I wouldn't really have a lot of passion behind it because I don't really feel I'm adding anything to the discussion that's not already there. I see. Okay. All right. Although, I want to expand on that a little bit here to my earlier answer. Okay. So you may not know this, but in the Survivor world, I talk about reality TV and Survivor, mm-hmm. and I am known as a huge grump. <laughs> Everyone says Mario complains, he bitches, he just talks about how things suck now, how they were better in the old days. And that's true because I honestly feel that way because I really think Survivor is like plummeted and I, mm-hmm. I – I can't, I, I have the inability to bullshit. I can't really say things are amazing when they're not. And so that's how I, I've earned this reputation is like this grumpy old man. And for years, it's harangued me, this reputation, because I'm not a negative person in real life. I don't like criticizing things. And so I wanted to do another show, a podcast, where all I do is I talk about things that I love and why other people should love them, because that's much closer to my personality. So a lot of it is in response to my survivor reputation that I wanted to show people, you know, I really do love things. That's that's what I'm put on earth to do is to rave about things that other people should like, too. That's much closer to my personality. And that's funny that you, you mentioned that, because my next question was going to be, do you feel your history with the Survivor fan community has helped you at all when creating and maintaining a podcast? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's plus and pluses and the negatives. There's it definitely helped because I already have an existing audience from Survivor that just came over. But the other problem is people just want to hear me talk about Survivor on staff picks, which it's a totally different market. In fact, anytime Survivor comes up in an episode, I cut it out. I've never I think I've allowed it once in the in the uh, swingers episode. And I had to put a disclaimer. This is what we're talking about. (laughs) So it's helped, but at the same time, it's not what I I don't want. It's not the same uh, market or or listener base. So it's like, if you got to separate the peas and the mashed potatoes, you just don't want them. You don't want them meeting. Exactly. Yeah. Although I will say (laughs) some of my, yeah, some of my highest rated episodes are one of the biggest listeners are where I bring survivor alums onto the show. So it, it, I noticed that. Yeah, it's a yeah. double-edged sword. <laughs> Interesting. Um, okay, so this is another question. I, I honestly have really no idea the answer of this or answer to this. Uh, was there any host, podcasting or otherwise, um, that particularly inspired you, or or that you try to model your approach to uh, approach on for staff picks? Um, I'm curious if this answer will surprise you or not. I suspect it won't. I have never listened to a podcast before. I have no idea <laughs> what other podcasts sound like. Wow. <laughs> no, it doesn't surprise me, I guess. Yeah, 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 it doesn't surprise me. Well, some okay, someone told me this, this a while back. They said, this is a quote that I love using. Someone said, you know, 99% of people that use the Internet just consume content. 
and they, they yeah. consume the content that's created by the other one percent. And they said, Mario, you're one of the only people I know who only creates and doesn't consume. And I just don't. I don't follow anybody. I don't do anything on the internet other than create stuff. I'm somewhat similar, but I, I, I consume a little more than you do, I think. But uh, no, I, I'm, I think I'm, I'm kind of insular as well. So I, I totally understand that. Yeah. It's just I don't want to absorb other people's styles. And I, right. I always try to do things my own way, so I just don't want to new, know what other people do. Although, I will admit, when we do road trips, like long cross-country drives, my wife and I will put on something, maybe a Conan O'Brien once in a while. Conan O'Brien needs a friend, just because it kills time. But I'm not really invested in the show. It's just something to listen to. Okay. That's about it, really. Okay. So, not even really Conan or, or, or Letterman or anybody like that? Well, I mean, yeah, these aren't podcasts. If we're going back, well, further... well, no, that, yeah, that's that's what I mean. Like anybody, any kind of host. Okay, well, yeah, I am a child of David Letterman, Late Night with David Letterman. I, I right. used to record those shows on VHS. I'd watch them the next day. I don't think I missed an episode for like five years when I was a kid. So, like, so much of my personality and sense of humor and style is based on old Letterman in the '80s, back when he was kind of a dick. <laughs> Which and it's, that's the thing. A lot of times on staff picks, there'll be a moment when I think, you know, Letterman would make a comment here and be a total ass, and I should do it because it would be funny, but I don't want to because it's mean. <laughs> so there's a lot of old school Letterman in me. Oh yeah, I I, I would definitely uh, say that for sure, and a lot of Norm Macdonald as well. A lot of Norm, although Norm is a little sharper than me. He, he he would come to punchlines that I wouldn't think of. Letterman and I would seem would have were pretty much on the same wavelength on what we how we'd respond to things. Mm. And does that sort of relate to your your love of Sam Kinison too? Oh yeah, well Sam Kinison was just different. Like there was nobody like him. Like I, he's not my style of comedian, but I liked him because he was just different. There was nobody doing what he did, and he was crossing lines nobody else would have the balls to cross. So I like that about him. Yeah, that always surprises me that that you have such reverence for Sam Kinison because, as you said, like I don't see like the similarity between you and him. Like as you say, you don't really have similar senses of humor, but I, I know you respect the hell out of him. And to be fair, he doesn't have a whole lot of good bits or albums or anything. Like when I tell people, yeah. go watch Kinnison, there's only really three bits he has that were the greatest ones. But one of them happened to be about necrophilia, which <laughs> killed me when I was 12. Is, is he talking about having sex with dead people? Oh, my God. So I have to – you got to tip your cap on that one. The, the one – you know, it's funny. I was just talking about Sam Kinnison on Facebook the other night. Um I saw him on the Rodney Dangerfield Young Comedian special in I think '85. Mm -hmm. Didn't didn't realize until years later that that was his debut. Mm -hmm. And in a way, I think that was his peak. <laughs> uh, you know, he came out and did the World Hunger bit, which is classic. He did all the stuff, uh, a lot of stuff on marriage, and um, I, to me, that's when I think of Sam Kennison, I think of that first you know chunk that he did on there which i thought was was just brilliant but everything after that was just sort of like hey i'm a rock star comedian and i, I wasn't as into it and i i don't disagree with you i say that peak was amazing but it was very short and i think people just have to know about that little peak and see I, i'm actually learning new things about you today because <laughs> I, I i i'm glad you're expounding on some of this stuff it's it's fun to like sit down and ask these questions because i i didn't 
fully know your opinion of Sam Kinison yeah. till now. So. I was not aware this interview was going to drift in the direction of Sam Kinison history. <laughs> I'm sorry if I'm spinning too, uh, too uh, off topic here, but um, so getting sort of back to the to staff picks, um, this is something that amazes me. Uh, I mean, I'm assuming you do the plot recaps off the top of your head for each episode. Oh, well, not entirely. I mean, there, I, yeah, I watch the episode and I take notes and as the episode goes along, I'm in charge of making it, making sure we stay within like a 90 minute time block. So I'm very good at kind of timing how, where we need to be in the episode at each point, but it's, it's not entirely off the top of my head. I always have a note notes in front of me of general this plot summary. Okay. Okay. I was going to say, you, you've got some savant skills. Yeah, no. on that. <laughs> I'm not that rain man. No. <laughs> um, and, and I think that's good because I think it, uh, you know, at first I, I wasn't sure about podcasts that sort of went, you know, down, ran down the plot, you know, scene by scene, but it's a really good uh, format to use because you know, you can talk about the plot and then you can spin off into other things and, and you can make sure that you've got the whole movie covered, too. So I, I, I really like that that format. And to be fair, that's not how I originally intended this show to go. <laughs> if you go back and listen to my first episode, it's not chronological. Top secret, we just jumped around. Yeah, I do remember that. Mm hmm. And then we did the second movie, The Village, which required you to spell out the plot in intricate detail to explain why it works. And I'm like, that episode was way better. So we just stuck with that after that. Interesting. I, and I loved that Village episode because because I really love that movie. I think it is heavily underrated. Um, in fact, that's one of my favorite episodes that you've done because I was like, this movie definitely needs more love. I mean, Shyamalan just gets crapped on all the time. Um, I mean, I think, God, up until, um, which, what was it? Split? Was it, was Split the one that was good, that got the good buzz again? Yeah, that was the one that people liked again. Yeah, everything from like, after Unbreakable. I mean, he had a string of films that were just trashed mercilessly. So it, it was good to hear <laughs> good to hear you guys talking about the village and like oh yeah i love this movie too that was I, a great episode i'm not gonna toot my own horn much because i'm generally pretty humble about stuff but it took balls to do the village as your second episode so i <laughs> i will pat myself on the back for that <laughs> yeah that's true that's true <laughs> let's start right off with the controversial one as long as you don't do the happening on your podcast, I think we'll be okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was a, that was a very stressful episode because I did not know if, if you could really sell the village to people. Like a lot of these movies I could talk about in my sleep, like, like a bachelor party or the quick and the dead. Like I could sell those to anybody cause I love them so much. The village is a much trickier sell. So I got one of my big all-star hosts. His name is Brian Scully. He's when he comes on, he just takes over the show. He did such a good job on that one. That was a great episode. Yeah. Yeah. I loved that. And, and the quick and the dead, which you mentioned is another one of my favorites too. And, and I, you know, I still have not seen that damn movie. But <laughs> wait, you haven't seen the quick and the dead. I know I, I, I listened to your your episode and that was like that really got me wanting to see it. Not that much, apparently. 
I've had a hard time finding it. I'm, I'm just going to have to buy a copy, a physical copy of it, because it, it doesn't seem to show up on streaming networks very often. <laughs> yeah, surprisingly, Sharon Stone westerns are not a big draw these days. <laughs> yeah, that's a... That's a left field genre. <laughs> I, you know, out of all the movies I've done, The Quick and the Dead might be my favorite. It's I love that movie so much. I wish more people love that movie as much as I did. And that was another question I was going to ask: is you know, what's the one film you've covered that you you feel like deserves the most love? out of everything you've done. And that's the one you'd say? Well, I dead? mean, yeah, I could name a lot of them. Like uh, The Founder. I, I really thought that was a good episode and a good movie. Uh, I'm just looking at my list here. White Men Can't Jump I thought was a really good one. But Quick and oh, the yeah. Dead is such a better movie than its reputation or popularity say. So yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say that one. I, I want to do another episode on that one. That's how much I love that movie. Oh, wow. <laughs> Well, and that brings up a good question. Would you ever consider doing a, a second episode for a film? Uh, I might, but right now I've promised like a hundred different people that they can do episodes and I still have this list that I have to cross off. So <laughs> I'm not, it's not really a good political move to start going back to the same movies already. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah. Um, so in your life, you know, as a, as a, as a movie lover and pop culture enthusiast, would you say there are any uh, genres of film that you have little or no interest in or, or won't go anywhere near? Well, I mean, this is a pretty stereotypical answer, but in generally, in general, rom-coms aren't really something I find that interesting. Mm, and yeah. like, if there are good ones, then I like. I have an episode coming up on Shakespeare and Love, which I I'm a big fan of that movie. But that's that's not a typical rom com. That one aims a little higher, right? <laughs> so like, like I know there's good rom coms, and I've had people say, "Hey, you should do more movies like that that aren't guy movies." And I'm like, find me one that I really think is special, and I would love to talk about. It. That's what I do is I try to find things that are special. But I just don't think in general there are that many special ones. Yeah, I think you're probably right about that, too. Yeah, and superhero movies. I I am historically not a big fan of superhero movies, especially modern ones, anything in the last 20 years. So it will be a cold day in hell before you see me do one of these franchise superhero movies on Staff Picks. Yeah, you know, I tried with those. You know, I, I liked, I liked um, you know, the, the Burton Batman films, and, and I even liked the Nolan ones. And I liked the first Avengers film, but I just have almost no interest in following these franchises. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what can I really say about them? Although, again, yeah. this fa factors into that I'm historically kind of prickly about sequels, reboots, franchises. So, like, it's none of that has any interest for me. So I just I just wouldn't even be drawn to it to begin with. <laughs> and actually, you know, again, jumping ahead, um, that, that would spin off beautifully into a question about um, explain your ire towards sequels in general. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> because I know you hate sequels and, and I, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. It's not that I hate sequels because I grew up in the eighties when everything was a sequel and like police Academy two, three, four, every kid <laughs> would see those weekend at Bernie's two, all the Rocky movies. I mean, right. James Bond movies are technically all sequels. Mm -hmm. So I kind of grew up in that era and I'm used to that, but I was used to the mentality of sequels were just, you know, 
thrown together cash grabs and everyone kind of expected that and just assumed that like i'm glad that police academy 2 and jaws 2 exist but no one would say they were great they're just they were fun that we kept the movie going yeah but then we got up into the 21st century where like everything was a sequel or a franchise or a reboot or a remake and like it was expected oh this is amazing oh this take on batman is going to be so much better it's like i at a certain point i just realized if i'm supporting that then i'm part of the problem if I'm going to these movies and raving about them and talking about them. So I just made a blanket statement somewhere around, you know, 2000, 2010. I just can't do sequels and, and reboots and remakes anymore. Cause I just, it's part of the problem. There's no interesting new things anymore because of this. And I think that's yet another thing that you and I have in common is we can't stand all these reboots and remakes and sequels. It just, it, it, it just speaks to a Hollywood that's totally bereft of ideas. Well, yeah, and even worse, they all become hits. So it's a Hollywood yeah. that's totally bereft of ideas and an audience that's totally accepting of just generic recycled crap. Right, right. So yeah, they so keep it's, re- yeah, it's like disheartening. They keep rewarding them, so they keep making them. Yeah. Exactly. Now, that being said, I have done a couple sequels on staff picks because there are some sequels over the years I do like, but it's like it's – like pulling teeth to get me to do one of these because I don't want to. I don't like supporting this mentality. But there are a couple that you can you can really sweet talk me into doing and I have done and and I have a Rocky 2 episode coming up in a little bit as well that it, that's one that it, I was actually it's a pretty good episode of a movie that nobody ever ever seems to like. I would love to hear you talk about Rocky 3 or 4. Well, see, those are the big cartoon popular ones. Everyone loves those because those are cartoony. I like <laughs> yeah. the reason I picked Rocky too is because Stallone was trying to make another Best Picture. Yeah, it's very yeah. weird for sequels to aim for that. Like, he was trying to do Godfather two. It's very much in the style of one, and then in three, it, it Rocky becomes a cartoon. But I wanted to do two just for that reason. He, he was really trying to make a real movie there. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. And, and since you mentioned James Bond, um, I think that would dovetail into this question. Um, I know you have a <laughs> policy where you will not uh, – I don't know if you won't watch them entirely, but I know you don't want to watch any James Bond films that don't star Roger Moore. <laughs> <laughs> and I find this fascinating about you. <laughs> um, and in fact, you're actually kind of selling me on that mentality. Um, but explain for our listeners why you love the Roger Moore Bonds so much and why you have almost no interest in the other ones. <laughs> this is a far less defensible position, so I'm a little awkward walking into this one. <laughs> okay. I'll back you up on it. I'll back you up. Okay, well, when I was growing up, my dad introduced me to James Bond movies, and I love James Bond movies. I, I came from a very strict family where we were not allowed to watch rated R movies. Nothing with nudity, nothing with sex. So James Bond, Indiana Jones, those were like as hardcore as I was allowed to watch. So James Bond was like the ultimate movie for me, the ultimate grown-up movie. But I only knew Roger Moore movies because we're talking 1974 through 1985. This is my childhood. Yeah. I didn't know there was a James Bond before that. My dad never introduced me to the Sean Connery stuff. Oh, wow. So I was so transfixed in my mind that Roger Moore was James Bond that when I finally saw a Sean Connery movie, maybe 10 years later, I'm like, I couldn't accept it. I'm like, no, nah, this is I don't like this is not the guy that I know. <laughs> this imposter Bond. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and over the years, it's just, you know, I got into the Sean Connery movies. Yeah, a lot of them are probably technically better than the Roger Moore movies. 
But damn it, the Roger Moore ones were all part of my childhood, and they're all fun and cartoony and goofy. And I just love every, even the bad ones. I love like the Man with the Golden Gun. I love that movie. Mm-hmm. I I've told you before. I kind of love Moonraker. <laughs> yeah, that was my favorite really... as a kid. Yeah, <laughs> Jaws. Jaws is amazing if you're eight years old. Right. <laughs> you know, and I kind of have a similar experience with Bond. Like Roger Moore was James Bond when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't I didn't see any of those until later. I, you, you won't believe this, but the first Bond film I saw in a theater was The Living Daylights, <laughs> which I revisited recently and I really, really liked. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I've been going through all the Bond films in the last couple of years finally sitting down with all of them and and the roger moore ones i i you're you're really selling me on that that they're the most fun they're just the most pure fun ones yeah i don't know if they're better but damn it i always enjoy them there's not i just bought octopussy on dvd i think i'm the only person in 10 years who's bought octopussy uh, i did <laughs> dvd specifically dvd I, I i have this ocd thing i've been collecting all the original mgm james bond dvds and i started because they were all really dirt cheap at amoeba so i feel like i have to co- complete this collection so i'm buying all these very specific uh uh releases of these films and yeah i, I got octopus i only have a couple left that i have to buy but um but you you've sold me on this this roger moore theory uh, you know nine times out of ten those are the movies I want to put in and watch. You know, I really like Daniel Craig as Bond too, but I'm rarely in the mood to sit down and watch Casino Royale or even Skyfall or, you know, cause they're, they're heavier movies. They're yeah. grittier and they're just not as much fun. They're too serious. Yeah. It's the post 9-11 Bond. Yeah. Well, there was one other aspect I just thought of is that, you know, Roger Moore was all the way up until A View to a Kill. And I think 1987, six, I forget what year. Uh, Sounds about right. Maybe 85 even. And then there was a big gap. And like at the time that was like, well, James Bond is done. That was like the longest gap there had ever been between James Bond movies. And then they rebooted it with Timothy Dalton in, I think, 89. So there was that huge gap in three years there that, looking back, you think that's nothing. But at the time, that was a big deal. So it's like, I tried this new Bond. It had been three years since a movie came out. I'm like, eh, not really into it. And I never really cared after that anymore. Interesting. Yeah, people, yeah there was a... a gap. Don't overlook that gap. Yeah, there was a gap. I, I didn't even think about that until you mentioned it. Wow. Um, so speaking of franchises, uh, here's another thing I'd like you to elucidate. Um, explain your ire for Scream, because I know you hate this movie. Wait a minute. I I, I explained that in my episode on Friday the 13th, part six, because my co-host uh, was much younger. Okay, we'll go over oh, it again. I know, you, I know you did, but uh, I, you know, for those who may not have heard it, I would <laughs> like you to, you know... Yeah, this is this is Mario's greatest hits tonight. All right. (laughs) First off, everybody go listen to that Friday the 13th part six episode. That's one of my favorite episodes because it's goofy. And my co-host and I disagreed many times. He was very combative and it was fun. You got into a full blown argument. about (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. The short version of Scream is that when again, you have to think of these in in context of time of when they happened. All these horror movies and stuff were products of the 80s. Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween. And then Scream comes out in 97 and shits all over them. And I did not think people in 1997 earned the right to 
shit on movies from the 80s because those were not for them. You're making fun of a different era. I did not think the makers of Scream earned the right because they were not of the same era. I thought it was very disrespectful at the time. <laughs> yeah, and, and just the 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 ego of of especially that Jamie Kennedy character. <laughs> yeah, someone should X that guy. <laughs> yeah, it, there's a very sort of smug. There's a smugness. Smugness. Oh God. Like I I like Scream quite a bit. But I can completely understand your argument against it. And and to be honest, I kind of liked Scream when it came out. It was kind of fun. It was a fun movie. But I'm like, this is going to ruin horror for the next 10 years. Because now every movie is going to make fun of horror and call it a horror movie. And I did not yeah. like that at all. It didn't take horror seriously anymore. And you were pretty much right, I think. <laughs> I like to think I was, yes. <laughs> and I, I, you know, I, you still see this. In, in horror, I think, in modern horror is the whole meta thing. Um, but but in, in a way that's sort of like above it all, which, yeah. which I, I don't really like. Well, you know, the Friday the 13th movies suck. Most of them are terrible. But damn it, they believed in what they were doing and they, they had heart. They were trying to do something with it. Out of out of the so-called big three horror franchises, I love Friday the Thirteenth the most. Yeah, I could watch any of those, even even the the dodgy ones. <laughs> Um, I even like Jason Takes Manhattan. I that's I know that's not. Now I would love to see you do an episode on that, but uh, I don't know. That is the worst movie I have ever seen in a theater. There's no way I'm ever doing Jason Takes Manhattan. Damn. <laughs> I saw that movie the second day it was open, and there was three people in the theater, and I'm like, this is not going to go well when there's only three people on the second day it's open. Oh my god. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, I know. But uh, yeah, I love the, most of the Friday the 13th movies. I like them for what they are. I just don't want to support sequel culture. But I kind of have a soft spot for most of those. Even though I think Halloween is the greatest horror movie of all time, I just really don't like the rest of the franchise after two. After Halloween two? Yeah, Halloween two, I think, is actually pretty decent. But I, I yeah. once we get into Halloween four, like, I don't care. Oh, God, me too. Uh, now I, I do really like Halloween three. Um, I know we've talked about this before, um, that you think it's a better, it's better in theory than it is in execution, right? (laughs) Halloween three is interesting because at one time it was like the most hated sequel or horror movie ever back in the eighties. Everyone Mm -hmm. hated it. And then people started sticking up for it saying, Hey, it was kind of a cool idea. And now it's swung around where I see so many people raving about it that now it's overrated because like there's no way it's as good as people claim it is. It's it's never been a good movie, but it's like I was going to do it on staff picks, but I can't because everyone talks about how great it is, but it's not great. I see. And, and your whole your whole uh, motivation for this podcast is sticking up for the underdog, right? Yeah, exactly. Halloween three yeah. at this point. Again, everyone seems to love that movie. So they've done my work for me. So I, that one's off the list. Yeah, it definitely seems like the, the tides have turned a bit for Halloween 3, which I think is cool. Yeah, I mean, it's good for that. It's, it's bad for me, but good for, I guess, good for the world. Right. <laughs> so what what directors would you say you gravitate towards, if any? Yeah, that's something I've thought about a lot over the years. I'm not especially loyal to any directors. I never really have been. And it's kind of like that with musicians, too. I'm not really loyal to musicians. I like the specific songs. But if there's one director who 
Okay, two. There's two directors that I, I know will... one of them. Okay, who's one of them? Sam Raimi. Right? Sam Raimi, yes. The Quick and the Dead. Evil Dead, all of those. Yeah, Sam Raimi's one. But the other one recently who has really grown on me, and I want to do a bunch of his movies, and the timing's kind of bad because he just got Me too the other day. Oh. <laughs> Alexander Payne. Uh-oh. I, I didn't hear about this. Yeah, Rose McGowan said that he would creeped on her when she was 15. Oh, that's right. Well, Rose McGowan, we could do a whole podcast on. Yeah, let's look. Well, we will not touch any of this topic other than to say I love Alexander Payne movies, and I will be doing a lot of them on Staff Picks in the future. Now, he, <laughs> now he did Election, right? He did Election. He did About Schmidt. He did Nebraska. He did Citizen Ruth. He did uh, – what else? Uh, Sideways, The Expendables, or not The Expendables? Uh, what's the other one? The one in Hawaii. I forget the name, but he, yeah, his everything except for downsizing, which was terrible. Oh wow! In fact, I've already got a Citizen Ruth episode in the can. It'll be released pretty soon. It's like three episodes away. Yeah, I thought you had recorded one. I thought I remembered that. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So those are the two. Alexander Payne, I love his cynicism and his Midwest humor. And Sam Raimi, just because I think he and I would get along smashingly because he's like a little kid. <laughs> now, here's a question for you. Um, Evil Dead 1 or 2? <sighs> Must you ask that question? <laughs> because they're, okay, Evil Dead 1 I love, but it's so raw and unpleasant that it's, it's yeah. not one I really recommend to people. Mm -hmm. But Evil Dead 2 takes the franchise in a direction that I don't like because I don't like Army of Darkness. I think it's too goofy for its own good. Ah, so okay. I like Evil Dead 2, but it's kind of the scream quality. It kind of ruined the Evil Dead franchise, I think. Interesting. Wow. But, but I like them both for different reasons. Okay. Okay. But, but you might lean towards the first one in a way. Well, well the first one's got more... You know, it's a bunch of struggling people trying to make something out of nothing, which I always appreciate. They're just throwing everything they can at the screen trying to make a movie. So I appreciate that. And the first one's almost almost like exploitation level quality. Yeah, it's it's, it's brutal, <laughs> like more like almost last house on the left or something like that. Yeah. Evil Dead 2 is much more watered down for a you know, younger audience or a less horror driven audience, but there's something about one that I love the passion behind it. Okay. Um, now on a similar note, what are some actors or actresses that you find you continually gravitate towards or that you feel make everything better? Well, there's one actress I have called my good luck charm because she's in three of my favorite movies of all time. And that would be Jamie Lee Curtis. Mm-hmm. That's what I thought. It was in Halloween, yeah, Fish Called Wanda, and True Lies. Yeah. Yeah, when I was listening to, I think it was your True Lies episode, I, I never really stopped to think how great Jamie Lee Curtis is until I was listening to that episode. Mm -hmm. I mean, I knew I liked her. Uh, actually, it might have been your Fish Called Wanda episode. Like, yeah, she's really underrated. She's always solid, and she brings a certain, like, like, realism to everything she does too she kind of grounds everything well in a fish called wanda she holds her own with john cleese and kevin klein like yeah. how hard would that be to do if you're not really a natural comedian <laughs> think about that great point. Mm -hmm. and then in true lies she steals scenes from arnold schwarzenegger <laughs> she really does yeah 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Jamie Lee Curtis, I always say, is my good luck charm. If she is in a movie, I will see it because I know she will add something amazing to it. Um, as for actors, there's nobody really specific. Like, I, this is a cop-out answer. I love Schwarzenegger movies. I think he's so mm-hmm. funny. So he's just one that pops in my head. But there's lots of other people. I love Nicolas Cage. I think he's great and stuff. <laughs> and I know you also love Woody Harrelson, too. Woody Harrelson is so great. Oh, man, he's mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah, he's. I, I should do more Woody Harrelson movies. Yes. In fact, you, you opened my eyes to him, too. He was another guy that I was like, yeah, he's okay. But, you know, I think it was the, the first one that you turned me on to that really opened my eyes was White Man Can't Jump. Yeah. Like, this is a movie I completely ignored back in the day. I thought the title was dumb. I thought it didn't look very interesting. And I sat down and watched it. And I was like, this is a really good movie. And nobody really talks about it. Yeah, it's interesting because it was a big topical movie that generated a lot of discussion when it came out about race relations and perception and, you know, culture. And then everyone just kind of forgot about it. I'm like, you know, this would be a movie I think a lot of people would like to talk about now. It seems like it would be very, you know, appropriate to be talked about in 2020. But, yeah, it's just it just kind of disappeared. Yeah. Yeah, that's a shame, too. Yeah. And then Woody's co-star in that Wesley Snipes, someone else who's great in everything. So that that movie was just like a, you know, (laughs) combination of everything just coming together at the right time. Yeah. Uh, And on that note, um, and I this will be news to me because I don't really I haven't really heard anything about this. So have you had any episodes where you experienced any kind of blowback or controversy? (laughs) Well, I am fortunate Christopher is that I do not have a large enough audience to generate controversies. <laughs> <laughs> well, at, at least when it comes to staff picks, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, no, there are, I have many enemies in the survivor community. That's a whole different story <laughs> in the staff picks world. I am pristine. I have not really generated any controversy other than stuff. Like I said, I was going to do Rosemary's baby and they're like, wow, I can't believe you do a Roman Polanski movie in the me too era. But if you listen to that episode, I had a really good, you know, feminist co-host who really explained the dichotomy of how can you praise this movie and the people who made it yet still hating Roman Polanski. And I thought she made some really good points. So I I actually embrace those kind of controversies because I like those kind of discussions. That's good. That's awesome. Yeah, I've been fortunate I haven't run into much of that really. I mean, the serious answer is the biggest controversy I have is where I have a lot of people that want to do the same movie, and I pick one of them to be my host, and then everybody's pissed at me. (laughs) That's really about it. There's certain movies the people were lining up to do, like Galaxy Quest. Oh, man, I I had to break a lot of hearts for that one. I remember you and I had talked about doing True Lies at one point, Mm -hmm. and um, and then somebody else ended up hosting that episode. Right. It's a it's a political game, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> Brings me to another question I had was, um, are there people that you'd love to have on, but you just cannot agree on a film? Because I know for you and I, like we've known each other forever, but it took us it took us a long time to nail down the first film that we wanted to talk about. Because I, I immediately wanted to talk about Ghostbusters, of course. And then I wanted to talk about Dragnet. I couldn't sell you on Dragnet. Um, but are there people that have been sort of waiting in the wings and you just cannot find that one film? Yeah. There's people who 
I can't get the right movie or our schedule doesn't line up. There's a couple of reality TV people who go out and film new seasons. They're, they're like reality TV all-stars. So I want to get them and they're like, oh, I'll be filming the next four months. I'm like, damn it. I thought I had you. But yeah, there's, uh, there's plenty. I, I'm not going to name names, but there's in my head, I always have about 40 to 50 episodes planned what I want to do down the road. And it's either I want to do an episode on this movie or I want to get this person on the air. And it's sometimes it's hard to get those two things together. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally understand that. And what's the biggest piece of advice that you would give to prospective guests for your show? Uh, the only thing, and this, this is a hard thing to advise people of, to really learn to do if you don't already do this. But all I can ask is that you have something to say when you come on the air. (laughs) And that's hard. Again, that's easier said than done. Some people do and some don't. And there's really no rhyme or reason. I know people that are the most interesting, great, you know, fascinating people in the world. You put them on the air and they have nothing to say. And it's, you, yeah. can, you can sometimes hear that in the podcast when I start prompting people. So what did you think about this? Oh, tell me what happens here. Explain this. You can kind of hear me doing that. And I feel bad, but it's just some people have that knack to be able to paint a picture in the head of the listener and they can just do it naturally. Some people can't. It's just, it's different for every person. You can hear me respond to different types of guests all the time. Yeah, it, it is an acquired skill, I think. And I think something that helps you and I is that we've known each other for so long and I've had conversations with you on your porch for an hour. So, so we have like a natural rapport, Um, but it's still difficult. Like, you know, it's still difficult to keep a rhythm going and everything and keep an energy level going. So I I get it. Yeah. And everyone's nervous and I have sympathy for that. Again, I've done a hundred of these. I've done a hundred reality TV or SNL podcast. So I've been doing this forever and people are always nervous. They come on, they don't know what it's going to, how it's going to go, if they're going to be good. And I always tell people, this is something anybody can vouch for this. have been on my show. I say, my only job is to make you sound amazing. I will (laughs) set my guest up. I will try to steer into their strengths. I will edit them. I will make sure the punchlines, their punchlines always land perfectly. I, I, I really do my best to make my guest feel as comfortable as possible once they're on and they always come on here and they're like wow that went fast the recording it just flew by and i'm like yeah Yeah. really once you get going it's it's over in a second so people are understandably nervous when they come on but they don't have to be because i'm usually looking out for you yeah yeah i can i can uh, definitely vouch for that too um which brings me to my next question uh what's your biggest pet peeve about guests that you've had <laughs> without naming names or unless you want to. I mean, it's your, your show. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I'm reading your mind. I know. Already. <laughs> um, there's certain pet peeves that I have a hard time doing episodes with people who host their own podcast. Interesting. Because they do not, they will not sit back and let me lead the conversation. They start trying to lead it. And I know from timing wise where we should be in the episode and I know how it should go. So I have a, I, I really steered away from doing episodes with people who run their own podcast because I find it doesn't work that well. You know, it would be really interesting to know, to, to go back through the list of your episodes and knowing which of those guests had their own podcast because mm-hmm. there were certain, again, I'm not going to 
name names or anything, but there were certain episodes where I was like, gosh, Mario isn't talking very much. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, this is his shot. Well, some of that's by design. Some of my co-hosts I know can speak better than I can, so I just let them go. I see. Yeah, it's not always a bad thing. Okay, okay, so it's not always negative. No, not always. There's the... Uh, again, Brian Scully, I had him on for the village. He did last night. He did, uh, Arlington road. I just basically let him run the podcast. Cause he is a screenwriter. He, he paints pictures in people's heads for a living. He's better at this than I am. Yeah. And, and like, as I said before, I remember the village episode being particularly strong and, and, uh, one of my favorite episodes just because of how much love he gave that movie and how much it needs it. So yeah, that was a good one. Here's another pet peeve I have is that I used to try to get like reality TV stars and people who were kind of famous on the show just because they would draw in listeners. They tend to have a, I wouldn't quite say an attitude, but they come in with rules. Like you get me for an hour, that's it. And that's not really how staff picks works. So I don't, I don't appreciate when people come in and start dictating how long it's going to go and like how the recording is going to be. So I've steered away from that over the years. I try not to get big shots as my guests. Yeah, because the format should be of your design. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> They're I, in your house. Yeah, exactly. That, I mean, I hate to be you a know, big shot over anybody, but like the, the direct, okay, my uh, Deathstalker 2 podcast. I brought on the actual director of that movie, Jim Wynorski. And he did oh, yeah. not want, he did not want to be there. Really? That was pulling teeth. That whole episode. He, I, what happened is I was trying to get him to be on the show. He didn't want to do it. He's like, well, I'll give you 10 minutes. I'm like, well, I can eat a little longer than 10 minutes. And he's like, all right, well, I'll do it. And then he got here and he just wanted to leave. He didn't want to be on here. So it's like me begging him to stay on the air for at least 45 minutes. And even at the end, if you can hear, he just hangs up and I just keep talking. Oh, wow. <laughs> I didn't know that till today. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he was very nice to come on, but like, I, I don't think that was one of my stronger episodes because it was not, I should have had a fan of that movie instead. The director is too close. He can't really rave about it. Oh, that's interesting. Wow. So I learned very quickly, do not have the directors of these movies on for episodes. It doesn't work. Wow. Well, well, spinning off of that, um, I had a question. Are there films that you've done episodes for where you have had relations with the cast or crew or you know them or your friends or, and who did you hope to score for past or future episodes in that vein? But, but now that, now that you're saying it, it sounds like you kind of don't want people affiliated with the films. Well, yeah, it's that, that is indeed the case. I really tried to get people affiliated with the films at the start. I wanted uh, Ed Solomon who wrote Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. He and I follow each other on Twitter, and I'm like, I would love to have him on to talk about Bill and Ted's bogus journey, because at the time, nobody ever talked about that movie. And he would probably do it. He would, but I just don't think it would be as interesting as having a fan on there about it. Yeah. Oh, one other thing, one other idea I had early on is because one of my favorite actors of all time is John Ritter. You know, from Three's oh, Company. I am completely with you on that one. <laughs> and I've I've forever been trying to find a movie that he was in that can really sell how amazing he was. <laughs> but I can't really find like he wasn't in very many good movies. That's the problem. Yeah. But my idea was his wife, his widow, Amy Asbeck, is active on Twitter, and I was like, I would love to have her on and we could rave about John Ritter's work. I thought it would be a fun episode. But oh, it's just wow. the more I realize I don't like having celebrities on the show, I I got away from that idea. I'm like, I don't think that would actually flow as well as some of these other shows. Interesting. That would be that would be a really interesting conversation. 
And uh, I, I actually, well, if you ever want to do Noises Off, <laughs> I love that. It's one of my favorite movies. I know you don't like stage plays, though, and musicals and stuff like that. But um, that's one of my favorite films. I think John Ritter's brilliant in it. I, I think everybody's brilliant in it. Um, that's one I would love to talk about. But, yeah, his filmography is, is a little thin. Um, it seems like, you know, his TV work especially mm-hmm. is, is, is where, where his bread and butter was. Yeah, I just can't find the perfect movie to do on Staff Picks. That's the problem. Maybe Sling Blade? Maybe Maybe Sling Blade, but he's not funny in that one. That's the problem. And he looks like Bert because he's got that weird haircut. Right. <laughs> That's true. Well, okay, well, let me tell you another pet peeve I have. Oh, yeah, on please. Staff, just one more on Staff Picks is that some people talk too long. There's... And it's, 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 I hope I'm not one of those people. (laughs) No, you're not. I mean, there's some people there. I swear to God, there's one episode. I cut out an entire 20 minute speech that one of my co-hosts made a filibuster. (laughs) Yeah. It was literally a filibuster in the episode. And I cut out the entire thing just because I'm like, this is not interesting. And I, I don't take it personally, but nobody cares about this, this rambling. So like it's, there's certain people that have to pick up the cues of how the conversation should go on staff picks. And some people can't do that. That, that tends to be my, my pet peeve. Although I've gotten better at working around that over the years. Yeah. It's really an art of give and take mm-hmm. and especially the way you do it, which I really like because you don't like the crosstalk where if you listen to most podcasts, it's people talking over each other for two, three hours. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like your podcast is a lot better about people taking turns, which is much easier to listen to also. Um, so yeah, I, I can imagine if somebody just went for a, a filibustering, that's, that's the way I put it. Yeah. Well, okay. Do you want to know why there's no crosstalk on staff picks? I'll give you a little insider tip here. I edit the hell out of these episodes. Like, I swear to God, for an hour and a half episode, it takes an hour and a half to record. It will take me 15 hours to edit. Oh, good Lord. Wow. I am meticulous when I go through that everything has to be timed perfectly. The breaks in there, the pauses, the conversation. No one's ever talking about over each other. Like, I am so meticulous in how I edit these. But, but I will also say that, like, there's only so much you can edit around that. Like you, you kind of, you kind of have to have the people doing what they're supposed to be doing in the first place. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So, yeah. but I, I think you're good about sort of corralling people and keeping it under control. One of the rules I have, I tell people when we get on there is if we start talking and you're not done with your point and I've started my point, just keep talking, finish your point, And I can separate the tracks into individual tracks, mono afterwards. And I will put a little silence in between there to time it out. So it looks like we were not talking over each other. Okay. See, I thought that's how your recording process worked, mm-hmm. So, but I wasn't entirely sure. And that, that's got to make editing so much easier. It is. I, and I didn't learn that until about the 20th episode that I could split these into tracks. <laughs> For the first 20 episodes, everything was recorded in stereo. And I was I was cutting off people's conversations and jokes left and right because I was making sure there was no overlap. And then I think it, uh, it was the unfriended episode. I'm like, oh, my God, I can split these out. This makes life so much easier. And now the editing time takes so much longer. <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the uh, drawback. Yeah. Yeah, and I should point out, I'd never edited a podcast prior to Staff Picks. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, when I sat down to do the show, because I do Survivor podcasts, but I never edit them. I just turn them over to someone, and they... I've never even listened to one of my Survivor podcasts. I just record and then give it to somebody. For this, I'm like, I had to learn how to do it. So I had to ask my friend Mike Bloom. He was on my uh, Drop Dead Gorgeous episode. I'm like, how do you edit a podcast? He's like, well, download Audacity. I'm like, what's that? So like, I had to learn on the fly how to do this. I, I had no idea how to do this. Wow, that's that's pretty impressive. I I use a, a, a decades-old freeware program called Goldwave to do all my audio editing. Mm-hmm. I don't even I don't even know if they make it anymore. But um, yeah, so I've I've been doing editing for a long time, but uh, it took a long time to to get the ins and outs of it. So that's impressive that you just sort of picked it up and ran with it. And I'm still not sure I'm all that good at some things. Like, I don't know what the proper decibel level should be. <laughs> I have no idea. I just make it as loud as possible so I can kind of hear it when I'm in my AMI. I don't, I don't have real great hearing, so I crank it up when I'm editing so I can hear every little background noise. And I just kind of assume this should be the decibel level. But if, if, if I've been wrong for 100 episodes, somebody please tell me I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, please leave a comment. Right? Yes. <laughs> uh, and on that note... Um... What was the easiest episode to edit, and conversely, which one was a complete nightmare to edit? (laughs) Well, what's funny is some of the better episodes were ones that were really hard to edit. Mm. And I will say there's one, a couple of my co-hosts, one in particular, Dan Fields, who did my Bad News Bears podcast and my Bad News Bears and Breaking Training. He and I are so similar that it's like one brain, and we're just we're just bouncing off each other left and right. It's not, you're not talking in little breaks. It's we're talking simultaneously, almost the whole episode. Cause we love the movie so much. Yeah. That is a nightmare to split out and turn into an episode. Like the finished product is great. I really love those, but editing anything with him is hard just because we talk differently than other people do. I see. Yeah. So he, he's very difficult. So there's another co-host I have, Joni. She's uh Joni Newman. She did Titanic. She's on my next episode, the Muppet movie. We have such a fun synergy and we know each other that we're just bouncing off each other with this kinetic energy. And it's tough to edit and rein in later. It turns out to a good episode, but those are hard to edit just because we have very similar synergy. Okay. So sometimes the, the chemistry can, can backfire. <laughs> well, yeah, I wouldn't say backfire cause those are great episodes. Yeah. But I sit down to edit it. I'm like, oh, man, this one is going to be a bastard. (laughs) Yeah, that that makes sense. Yeah, so it's nothing against them. It's just I know which people, like Brian Scully, again, he's so good that there's parts in the episode that I have to cut him off because I know he's going to go on. And I I should really jump in every 10 minutes or so just to remind people I'm there. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, this is my podcast. (laughs) Remember me? <laughs> yeah, there's one episode I remember specifically, True Lies, I did earlier this year. Yeah, yeah. For some reason, Christine and I had a sync at the start where we would just talk in about 45-second blocks each. I would go 45 seconds. She'd go 45 seconds. I would go 45. And I was like, that was the easiest podcast to edit ever. It's like we somehow almost verbatim spat out a professional podcast. That was really cool. That doesn't happen very often. Yeah, I remember you you uh, telling me about that when it happened too. Like, man, I, I had almost no editing of this episode. Yeah, it's crazy. It was just sometimes it just works out that way. I, I can never predict how it's going to go. Interesting. Um, so, has anyone ever come on an ep- uh, on your show and just like blown you away with specific pieces of trivia or anything? 
and you're just you're just learning a lot as you're recording it and going, wow, this is amazing. Well, it would be tough to do that because I really research these movies, so That's it would true. be very it'd be very rare for someone to come on and just hit me with all this trivia I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, my up- upcoming Muppet movie podcast. Joni knows way more about Muppet history than I do, so there's all sorts of stuff she's springing on me. I have no idea. Like, oh, Miss Piggy and Kermit got married four movies down the road. Like, I have no idea. I'd never seen these other Muppet movies. <laughs> but for the most part, it would be very rare. Although, I will say, there there's certain guests I have that come on that are so prepared. They have 20 pages of notes, you know, outlines and everything. And I'm so impressed with the amount of time they put into this. But I feel bad because we only go through about three pages in the podcast itself. We don't even get to most of it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got the sense that um, – I, I don't know if it's this was really the case, but I got the sense that your War Games episode – your guest had really prepared. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's actually one of my favorite episodes because you spent so much time just sort of recreating the time period that that movie came out in. And especially for people like me who, who grew up in that time period, it was just a trip to listen to. But also, it's a great film, too. I think it really stands up. So, again, like The Village, it was nice to hear just people talking about how great that movie is, you know. Yeah, the the War Games podcast was interesting because my co-host was a professional video game journalist, and he was my age. And that's something Mm -hmm. that actually you don't hear much of on Staff Picks. I don't think people realize I'm 46. Most of my co-hosts and guests are like in their 20s or 30s. So it's like I'm significantly older for the most part than most of my co-hosts. So it's really interesting to have someone on my age and we can talk about our era together. Yeah, so I'm I'm probably one of the few people that's been on that's sort of close to your age yeah pretty close i've had maybe three who have been older than me and that's it never otherwise it's generally much younger including one of my favorite episodes i love talking about the sandlot where i had a 13 year old kid on oh that's right (laughs) that was fun i love that episode i forgot about that didn't you have somebody on who had a military background as well just recently on Crimson Tide, we had a guy who used to be a naval commander, mm-hmm. a submarine yeah, commander. Yeah, so I, I that was that was one of my favorite gets. I was just searching for someone to do Crimson Tide word, and one of my listeners goes, "Hey, you know, I used to be on a submarine. I love that movie." I'm like, "You right now? We're gonna do this today." <laughs> That's amazing! Wow. Yeah. He was great. I've got so many compliments on that episode. That just two episodes ago, so many people said they really liked that one. Yeah. So what was what was the hardest you've ever laughed recording an episode? <laughs> See, um, there's a lot. I don't remember specific moments. I remember certain podcasts that I'm just laughing a lot, like Borat. Mm-hmm. I was laughing so much in that one, my co-host Vic. And then he also came back for uh, – walk hard so he got two of the funniest movies of all time he i always tease him next time i'll give you a hard movie to talk about come on anybody could make those two funny but i was really laughing hard in kingpin i always remember that one okay but the hardest i think i've ever laughed is in johnny dangerously when my co-host george was imitating the parrot oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) which he continued to do over and over right yes (laughs) you missed fuck face yeah, he's just he's imitating the parrot and he kills me every time because my brother and I used to imitate that parrot when we were kids. So, yeah, I, I almost couldn't talk at certain points during Johnny Dangerously because George had me laughing so hard. That was a great episode because I I grew up watching that movie 
but there's been l- large swaths of my life where I haven't watched it. I don't even uh-huh. own it. Still, I don't own it. Um, but just listening to that podcast, I I remember so much of that movie. It's just like embedded on my brain. So it was just it was just so much fun to hear people just hashing that out because I I could picture every single scene still <laughs> to this day. Okay, let me draw. I'm just looking at my list of episodes. I will give you three others that I just remember cracking up most of the episode. Okay. First off is the hand that rocks the cradle with Jessica Lee. Mm, mm-hmm. Oh my God. Did we have a fun time with that one? That was a fun episode. <laughs> I remember really laughing during, um, demolition man with Joshua Muir. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that might be my single favorite episode that you've done. That was so good. That is such a great episode. I'd never met him before. He's just somebody I knew from New Zealand through the internet. And that was our first time, the first uh, chemistry we ever had together. And that was so fun. And you're so different, but there's something about you guys. It was so funny. And then you had the the sound effect that kept coming in for the whole episode too, which would set, set it apart from a lot of your other episodes. But also just the absurdity of that plot. <laughs> oh my god, that was that was so much fun. I, I I know I listened to that several times, and I've I've never seen that movie. Still. Wait, you've never seen Demolition Man? Still, yeah, I, I I'm dying to see it now. But no, I, I it, that podcast was so entertaining. I feel like I saw the movie already. <laughs> Okay, here's one more that I really had a fun time with. And this is just one we did recently. This is where Leanne and I made fun of Grizzly Man. Oh, no. Did you listen to that one? Uh, That one is not ringing a bell. No, I think I missed that one. (laughs) Go listen to Grizzly Man as Leanne and I make bear jokes about this guy who got eaten by a bear for the entire podcast. (laughs) It's in such horrible taste because it's a true story of this nature conservation, you know, a nature guy who went out to live with the bears and the bears ate him. Good Lord. (laughs) It's, It's probably the worst taste podcast I've done, but we had so much fun. Sometimes those make for the most fun conversation, though, because I know when when you and I did Sporlosh, I mean, it's a pretty dark movie in a lot of ways, but we we could not stop laughing. Yeah. The whole time. Those are the best episodes, because that's when you really love something. Yeah. yeah. I remember after that Grizzly Man episode, Leanne, we got to off, off the air. She's like, that did not go how I expected it to go. And I said, that went exactly how I expected it would go. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> You know, it's going to be fun to listen to one way or another. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah that, I mean, we were having a good time. <laughs> um, so you've kind of touched on this before. Um, I, so I kind of know what you'll probably answer. But uh, what is your, your proudest? What, what's the episode that you're proudest of or, or multiple episodes that you're, that you're proudest of on the whole? Yeah, it's, it's, tough. it's tough to name one. That's the thing. I know you mentioned Quick and the Dead, um, The Village. Was yeah. another one. I tend to only remember back about 10 episodes. So I have to look. Like I'm actually looking at a list here of all the episodes I've done. And I'm just picking out ones that I think were especially strong, like The Village. I thought that was a really strong one at the start. Mm-hmm. Uh, I liked the Bachelor Party episode. I thought that was a really good early episode. Yeah, that was. And, and, and that's another one where I've kind of like half watched it through the years. I don't even know if I've ever seen it all the way through. But it was a lot of fun listening to two people who were very passionate about bachelor party. <laughs> you don't get that very often. 
Uh, let's see. The the invitation. I have probably had more feedback from that episode over the years than any other because people really? said, you turned me on to a horror movie I never would have seen, and I really liked that movie. Oh, wow. Well, you turned me on to Sporlosh. I'd never even heard of it before I met you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Frailty is another one, too. Yeah, Meatballs, I thought, was a very strong episode. One of my favorites. Okay. Uh, let's see. I'm going down here. The list. Uh... Would you include Demolition Man on that list? Oh, yeah. Too? Demolition Man, for sure. The Rock was a really strong one. Arlington Road was a strong one. Uh I like the Little Miss Sunshine episode. That's one of my, I think that's my second most downloaded episode. That was a good one. Wow. Uh, I would definitely agree with The Rock, too. That, mm-hmm. that was, a, again, a, a movie that not a lot of people talk about anymore. Um, but it's just so much fun. And it, it's so well done. And, and there is like a serious undercurrent to it as well. Yeah, there was a lot to talk about. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, Clash of the Titans, I thought was fantastic. I loved that episode. That was so much fun. Yeah. And I don't think I fully realized until, until I listened to that episode that the mythology in that film is a little wonky. Like it doesn't (laughs) strictly follow, uh, Greek mythology. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. Cause I've loved that movie since I was a little kid, but I, I didn't really know that. Uh, let's see. Uh, Hand the Rocks, The Cradle. I mentioned that again earlier. That was a great episode. Uh, I'll just do one more here. Okay, two more. I love the episode I did with my daughter, The Wicker Man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was fun. That was her first podcast ever. I love The Mist with Jesse. Jesse was one of my best hosts ever. And let's finish with one more here, just because I know it'll lead into a good discussion. The only Tarantino movie I have done. I thought the Jackie Brown episode was really good. I was just going to hit you with a question about Jackie Brown. I kid you not. (laughs) I knew you were. See, I know you well. So can you explain that damn department store scene? (laughs) No, nobody can. (laughs) That that is another one of my absolute favorite episodes because, (laughs) I mean, the discussion on, on the whole is really good. But when you get to that scene, it was like a catharsis for me because <laughs> I had never understood what the hell is going on in that scene. And then you pimped your guest. You're like, could you could you explain this? And he's like, uh, well, uh. <laughs> I thought you could. <laughs> <laughs> Two people that love the film and can't explain that part of the film. I, I'm I'm right there with you. We got right up to the line of scrimmage, and we didn't like the way the defense looked, and we punted. Like, no, we can't do this. <laughs> that was a great part of the episode, because neither one of us had any clue how to explain that, so we just skipped it. <laughs> I mean, I still love that movie. I think it's one of Tarantino's best films. But, yeah, that that whole part. You got me. <laughs> I have no idea. I, you know you know what was fun, doing a Tarantino movie? I want to do another one, because... Tarantino movies are really easy to talk about because there's only like 12 scenes in the whole movie because the scenes are so long. Like my notes for Jackie Brown were so much less extensive than like something like Johnny Dangerously where I'm writing every one liner, every quip. It's like all these notes like Mm -hmm. Tarantino movies take their time. They're so much easier to talk about because they're not in any hurry. Yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. And if you ever did Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Boy, would I love to come on for that episode. <laughs> but again, it's a three-hour movie, so. Well, you know what What Tarantino movie I want to do? And we I've talked about this before because it's one that you don't like that much. You know, I, yeah, well, it's got to be one of two then. 
It's the hateful eight. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that just didn't, it just didn't grab me when I saw it. I, I had some issues with it and that was weird because, you know, for years Tarantino was like my go-to director. Um, but a lot of people are going to be surprised by this, but Django Unchained and Hateful Eight, I'm not real hot on. And I'm still to this day not entirely sure why. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. I've watched The Hateful Eight probably five times in the last month. I just have it on all the time because I love the just the, the way it's set up. I just I, The more I watch it, the more I really appreciate it. So I'll probably do that at some point on Staff Picks. Well, see, then I would I would really love you to do an episode on that because maybe there's things that I'm not picking up on or uh, an alternate perspective that would help me appreciate it more. But yeah, I just, I just, I found it very off-putting for some reason. Yeah. Well, the first time I didn't love it, it was my wife who actually really liked it. And she was the one who said, I love that Walton Goggins guy. Cause I didn't know who he was. And we started watching it and I started paying attention to him and the other characters like Bob. I don't know if you remember Bob, but like, okay, I'll, I'll save this for the episode, but the hateful eight will happen at some point. I love that episode or that movie. Okay, cool. Yeah. I, I would, I would love to hear a discussion about that. Um, so I guess it's probably time to throw to the viewer questions. We do have a couple of viewer questions. Okay. Um, unless there is anything else that you wanted to cover. Uh, just one other thing. I met, just mentioned my wife a second ago. My wife is notoriously camera shy. No one has ever heard her voice, barely even seen her picture, but she is always a big part of my sense of humor. Like we come up with jokes together. We watch movies together and stuff. So I've been dying to get her on an episode of staff picks and oh, yeah. we're pro probably going to do it soon. There's a movie that she loves, uh, a, uh, Alexander Payne movie, Nebraska. Oh, Okay. She loves that movie so much. So I want to get her on. So hopefully Diana will be able to come on for that or maybe The Hateful Eight at some point. And it'll be her uh, podcast debut. She's been hiding in the shadows for 20 years. So <laughs> I've already had my daughter, Vanessa, did The Wicker Man. I want to get my son, Nicholas. He wants to do a Star Wars, one of the prequel movies, probably episode three. Yeah. And then my wife wants to come on. So there'll be more family members coming in the future. Oh, and my daughter also wants to come on again to do uh, As Above, So Below, that French, the horror movie in the catacombs of Paris. Interesting. She loves that movie. And and uh, Revenge of the Sith definitely needs more love. I I'm with you on that one, too. I think if it was up to my son, he would pick Phantom Menace. But I don't know if I have the heart to do that one. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> My son is 18, and he hates all Star Wars movies after 1 through 3. He does not like 4 through 6 at all. Good Lord. <laughs> I know. He's the, the, the voice of the youth. Yeah. <laughs> and you know the funny part is, to this day, the, the movie I've seen the most in the theater is The Phantom Menace. I saw it like seven times. I have a hard time getting through it now. <laughs> You love that pod racing. Oh God, no. <laughs> I'd say I'd say about half the movie is really cool and then half of it is just abysmal. It's just oh my god, the pacing and everything. And and I tried to defend Jar Jar for years and I'm like, no, he's just cute and funny and you know, he's for the kids and uh, no, he's it, it's it's gotten to the point where he's actively grading. Um <laughs> and I, I feel for Amit Best you know, everything he went through and I think he did everything out of good faith. I don't have anything against that guy, but that character, oh my God. <laughs> so you don't like 30 minute segments on intergalactic trade politics? 
That's what you want in a Star Wars film. (laughs) You know, my son and kids his age love those first three movies. They love one and two and three. I've got to get them on there to talk about it because it would be fascinating to get this perspective. Yeah, especially three. You know, I defend three to to the death. Um, Two, I have grown to like quite a bit. Mm-hmm. One, I mm, one's got problems. Three is my personal favorite Star Wars movie. I, I agree with my son. Revenge of the Sith is my favorite Star Wars movie. You know, I, I'm still an Empire guy for sure, um, but I find that Revenge of the Sith is the one that I kind of always have the urge to throw on, and maybe mm-hmm. it's because I feel like it's the biggest underdog, like it des- <laughs> it's the one that deserves the the most love. You know, it's it's the Roger Moore movie. Yes, exactly. It's the Moonraker of Star Wars. Well, no, I guess Phantom Menace would probably be the Moonraker. Okay, so some of the viewer questions. Um, I hope I don't butcher anybody's name here. But um, Jeremy Zerr, is that how to pronounce it? I hope so. That's how I pronounce it. Uh, He asked, what movie character would make the best Survivor player? Oh, well, we're doing survivor questions. Come on. That's, this, is, this is the only one. You can cut it out if you want. What movie character? Well, villains. I'm I'm straight up into villains. So it's got to be a villain from a movie. So I'm straight up picking Danny Vermin from Johnny Dangerously. That's where I'm going. Oh, I thought you were going to pick, um, uh, what's his name, Billy Mitchell? Billy Mitchell would be great. Cal Hockley from Titanic would be great. I love these smug villains that need a downfall. In fact, um, as I told you, uh, I was surprised that it took you so long to do an episode on The King of Kong, (laughs) because if like to me, that is like your movie for some reason. I just always associate that with you. Yeah, the problem with that is that the movie is BS. Like, I drag my feet on it because the movie is not really accurate for how things really went down. And I'm like, I don't want to perpetuate the myth that this is how it happened. Mm -hmm. But eventually there was so much momentum. I'm like, you know what? Screw it. We'll just have fun with it. I'll even explain. And so eventually I gave in, but that's that was my the reason I dragged my feet on that one. But that made for a great episode, too, because I didn't know how much of that was BS until I heard it. There you go. See, I should have done it earlier. <laughs> um, okay, so Matt Carter asks, um, uh, he wants to hear you elaborate on what you think makes a good horror film, especially detailing your kill-a-dog-kid-or-both theory. <laughs> I got to hear this. <laughs> Well, okay, I've said that before, is that the the greatest thing that a horror movie can do is show that it has balls early on, because a lot of movies pull their punches. They get to a certain point, and they won't cross the line, and the one thing is that the cute little dog, they will not kill a cute little dog, and it mm-hmm. always bugged me when I was a kid, because it was such a cliche. Oh, everyone died. It was terrible. Oh, but the dog survived. Thank God. So, like, I always had a soft spot for a movie where they actually had the balls to kill the dog, just because you don't do that. <laughs> And Halloween is the one. Michael Myers kills a dog in that one. He stabs it in the, when it's outside the window. And then in Jaws, a dog dies. Um, mm-hmm. In uh, Jurassic Park, The Lost World, I think a dog gets eaten by the dinosaur, if I recall. I always remember movies that actually cross that line. And then Jaws goes even further, and they kill the little Kintner kid. Wow, they killed a little kid and a dog. This movie's awesome. Wow. <laughs> so, which, is, which is also why you, why you liked A Fish Called Wanda. Of right. course. Oh, yes. <laughs> a comedy can kill three little dogs in a tasteful smashing, then I would love it. <laughs> oh, man. You you might like a horror film called Kathy's Curse, then. 
Okay. There's a Doberman that bites it at some point. <laughs> and I should point out, I, I should point out, I love dogs. This is not, not oh, a, yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> slam against dogs. I just like when a movie will actually cross that line. So, I mean, Matt's asking a much bigger question. What makes a great horror movie? I, I don't like slasher movies. I don't like gratuitous gore. I don't like anything that's tortury like Saw. Mm-hmm. I like movies that are disturbing and just sit with you for years, like Wicker Man, like Sporlouche, stuff like that. Like, those are my type of horror movies. I like movies that are disturbing. Mm-hmm. I like a lot of gory stuff, but um, but I, I, I'm mostly with you on uh, – most of my favorites, I think, are sort of slow burn, uh, more dramatic horror, especially mm-hmm. 70s. 70s, I think, kind of was the golden age for that. Yeah, absolutely. And then – although there's one I did on staff picks called The Skeleton Key. Which I'm a yeah. huge, I'm a huge yeah. fan of that one. Mm-hmm. Just because it's evil. <laughs> uh, and that was going to be my sub question for Matt's question is, what would you say is the greatest uh, non-slasher kind of standalone horror film? Would you say the Skeleton Key? No, because it's got too many flaws. Like the greatest non-slasher horror movie is probably The Wicker Man. Okay. Okay. That's the one I'd say. I'm trying to think. I don't know if Arlington Road counts as a horror movie. It really doesn't, but that's one I always recommend to people. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you can make the argument Jaws is technically a horror movie, but then you're getting into, like, that was, like, almost a Best Picture nominee. I forget if it was, but, like, yeah, Silence of the would. Lambs. Yeah, like, Silence of the Lambs. That's not really that's not, that's not really fair, including stuff like that. Okay. Yeah, I, I would shoehorn both of those into the horror genre, but, but I understand that. Um. Okay, so this is kind of related to a question that I asked you earlier. Um, David Holdsworth wanted to know, what was the funniest thing that happened during the recording of a podcast episode? Well, you kind of touched on that for the hardest I laughed. So mm-hmm. yeah. that would probably be the Johnny Dangerously parrot. Or I know in Borat, when Vic and I started doing Borat quotes, we were just losing it. <laughs> That's probably the funniest. I mean, I, I wish I could answer better. I don't remember specific. I remember things that go wrong with podcasts. I don't remember things that go right. Yeah, I, I, that's I, maybe that's what he meant. Like, did, can you think of a funny gaff or a technical problem or something like that? Oh, yeah, sure. OK, so when I started Staff Picks, I bought a laptop specifically for this podcast because I'd never really when I did my Survivor podcast, I never owned a microphone. I just talked right into my work laptop. Oh, wow. That's what I'm doing right now. (laughs) Yeah, I better get a personal laptop. So I bought this crappy laptop off off eBay from like China for like 100 bucks. (laughs) So so this laptop is fine other than it doesn't have a camera. And unbeknownst to me at the time, it decides to randomly lose its wireless connection to Wi-Fi from time to time. Oh, boy. So I didn't know this until I was recording the first two episodes. So top secret, our first episode we had to entirely record a second time because the first time the Wi-Fi kept going out and then I had this weird buzz from the fan that I didn't know my laptop was doing and it was buzzing through the entire episode. So we had to record the entire first episode of Staff Picks all over again and try to recreate it beat for beat. Oh, that sucks. I didn't but that, know that. Yeah, that did not suck as much as the village recording where my Wi-Fi decided to go out for 45 minutes in the middle. Oh, God. <laughs> 
you're kidding. I, I wouldn't have known if you hadn't told me. It just dropped. It just dropped. And they and I didn't know what was going on. I was trying to restart my computer. I could not get the Wi-Fi to come back on. My co-host, Brian Scully, was basically sitting there talking to the guy recording the episode, Vic. They just talked for 45 minutes before I could figure out how to get back on the air. Oh, Jesus. And I eventually finished it. And we spliced the two halves of the episode together so you can't tell. But after that, after that, I've had to plug in this laptop with a Ethernet cable to the Wi-Fi router. So I cannot use Wi-Fi. Everything must be hard connected with an Ethernet cable for staff picks now. Wow. Yeah. That's that's hardcore. <laughs> yeah. And uh, there's another. That's kinda cool, uh, actually. <laughs> it's kind of cool. I mean, it's cool. It's a learning. I mean, a learning process. It's just <laughs> as I'm going along, I'm like, this is a real pain in the ass. Yeah. <laughs> and then in uh, the Fast Times at Ridgemont High episode, the girl Heather Cannon, she uh, some of her audio was garbled. For some reason, she had a really bad connection that day, and her audio was unusable for like five minutes of the episode. So oh. I asked her. I said, "Can you?" Here, here's what you were trying to say. Can you recreate this and make it sound as if you're having a conversation with me and I'll just splice it into the episode? And she actually did. That's a hard skill to do. Most people cannot do that. She did that. And it's it's unnoticeable when you listen to it. I could not believe she was able to do that, but we spliced it in there. I'm going to have to go back and listen to that episode and see if I can spot where that is because I, I didn't notice it. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's, it's a really interesting talent she was able to do that most people cannot just talk into a microphone and make it sound like it's part of a conversation she was able to do that oh wow that's great oh one other episode fortress <laughs> fortress is one of my favorite episodes i didn't mention earlier because it's the most obscure movie i have done wait a minute you did an episode on fortress hell yeah i did an How episode did I on fortress <laughs> i don't know go find it it's fun oh my god yeah, I got to listen to this. Okay, so when you're recording, I do all these recordings on Skype, and Skype has a thing called automatic volume control that controls the volume of your mic. Mm -hmm. I forgot to turn that on for the Fortress episode, oh, so all of my audio for that episode is like ten times this decibel level. It's like <laughs> it was terrible. So I had to literally re-record every single piece of my audio later and splice it in there, and it was the biggest pain in the ass. Oh, God, that must have taken – Well, that, did that take days? It took a week or more. I mean, that yeah. took forever. So never, ever turn that switch off on Skype that controls your volume. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that sounds like a complete nightmare. Yeah. So this is the stuff I remember. I don't remember the stuff that was funny. I remember the stuff that sucked. There, was, there were two more viewer questions. Uh, Matt Carter has another one. Are there any movies that you feel, for one reason or another, you just didn't nail the episode for? Ooh, that's a good question. I I hesitate to answer that because I don't want to sell out my co-host on some of these. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's fair. I, if you don't want to go into depth, you don't have to. I can. I'll try to pick one that I don't think I did the greatest job on. Let me look here. I'm just looking down. It's going to be one of the early ones. I think I've been pretty solid. I always say I've done 100 episodes of Staff Picks, and I think three are probably bad. I think 97 are probably good, but mm -hmm. some of the early ones. Let's see. I don't think we nailed Last Action Hero properly, to be honest. Interesting. And that's one is just the, the podcast came in at 58 minutes. It's too short. It should have been another hour. That's a complicated movie. Oh, yeah. Okay. 
Yes, it's it's a difficult thing to balance because you don't want to go too long. You don't want to bore the listener. But some movies you just you got to I don't know. You got to expound on. Yeah, it's I, I used to have a very set time limit. No more than 90 minutes, like hour and a half and closer to an hour was better. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And then I know ours went over. <laughs> yeah, we've started to creep a little bit. They're usually closer to two hours now. Um, well, you know, we've covered pretty much all my questions. I just have one that I wanted to end on. Um, uh, what advice would you give for prospective podcasters? You know, cause now that you've been doing it for a while, you've got a hundred episodes under your belt. Um, for people that would want to start a podcast or maybe aren't even thinking of starting a podcast, what would you say to them to inspire them to do it? Well, first off, this is not going to make you famous, and this is not going to make you rich. So dispel any notions of that right now. That's the first thing I would advise. <laughs> this is a labor of love. They, uh, You are not going to get much out of it. Um, people work very hard on these. I've spent so many hours on staff picks. You know, I, at most, I've only had 1,000 listeners for one episode. It's usually closer to 300 and like, I have no ads on this. We have no revenue. There's no commercial. This is just straight up hobby. I just want to share with people. So that's my first piece of advice is don't expect you're going to become famous or rich. And the other thing I would say is be prepared to do a lot of work. Mm-hmm. A lot of people just think they're going to phone this in and it's very easy. And it's really not. You do not realize the amount of time it takes to edit, to plan out, to release, to advertise to talk about to take notes to watch movies so it's a lot of work and it's you can only do it if you love it this is not just a cheap way to become famous yeah yeah i remember you telling me a while back that you you know the the main thing you can ask for a guest too is to do the homework when they come on your show yeah again just have something to say and that's my advice to someone who's a podcaster don't start a podcast if you don't actually have anything to say (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I have seen people do this. They start a podcast and there's nothing really like, I know who this person is. I'm like, what are you going to talk about? Well, I'm just going to explain this. I'm like, why is anybody going to listen to that? Like it's, you have to actually have something to say that people will want to hear. And that's not saying I'm the most interesting person in the world. It's just that I've been doing this long enough and been around long enough to kind of know what actually would be interesting to listen to and what wouldn't. And that's a skill you can only acquire in time. And you you have a, a sort of a built-in base of followers too, who kind of, as you said, some of them kind of came over from Survivor, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's again, I I had an advantage, and even with my advantage, I'm only pulling in you know 400 listeners per episode, which is very small. I don't know, maybe that's big for some podcasts. I don't know, but it's like I have a Survivor podcast that pulls in 10,000 per episode. Wow. Yeah. So and, like and- this this is nothing. And what are your most listened to um, Staff Picks episodes? My number one is Loverboy. And the reason why is because I had a co-host named Rob Sesternino, who is the biggest reality TV podcaster out there. He has a show called Rob Has a Podcast. Audience is infinitely bigger than mine. So him coming on my show brought in a huge influx of listeners. So Loverboy is number one, and it's not even close. And unfortunately, that's not probably one of my stronger episodes. That's one of those... Where you, if you do a podcast with someone else who's a podcaster, the flow isn't quite right. Yeah, yeah. So, so I don't think that's my strongest episode, but it's far and away my biggest download. I was going to say that's that's such a strange <laughs> number one episode to have Loverboy. 
Like, but but it makes sense now that you explain it. Yeah, number two is Little Miss Sunshine, which is much more uh, uh, example exemplary of what staff picks is like. So Little mm-hmm. Miss Sunshine is a much better example of what this show is like, and that's my number two most downloaded. Interesting. Do you, do you happen to know what the number three is? It's Kingpin. Oh, okay. Although, you know what's funny? The reason those are one, two, and three is because those are the episodes on either side of the Loverboy episode. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's fascinating. Yeah, that Rob has a podcast bump is huge. And so I got a big audience right before and after, and it kind of went back down to normal. But yeah, it's oh, that's what that's that's what happens when you get someone who's a really big deal as your co-host. You get this huge bump. So it's a it's a fine line to walk. It's a, it's a double-edged sword, I guess. Yeah, too, huh? exactly. Although I do want to get Rob on again because I, we, we do have fun together. He's very similar to me. Yeah. All right. Well, that's pretty much it for, for my end. Uh, is there anything you wanted to talk about that we didn't cover? I don't think so. I think we pretty much covered everything. I just wanted to, again, get across the technical difficulties I had at the start with the show, how long and how hard I worked to edit these episodes, and how really, again, my goal is only to make my co-host as sound as good as possible. So if you ever get invited on as a guest, I, you're in good hands. I always treat my guests well, and we will uh, hopefully find a movie we both love and share it with the world and tell people why they need to love it a little more. And I think that sort of sets your podcast apart from a lot of other ones, too, is because I think you really do like try and make your guests feel comfortable and, and make them sound good and, you know, come off well. Whereas I, I've listened to so many other podcast episodes and it's just, it's just a mess. <laughs> well, and you know, it's funny cause it's, it's contrary to my nature because my nature is David Letterman and David <laughs> Letterman did not make his guests look good at all. He would be dicks to them. Yeah. Yeah. And that's my instinct is I want to do that because it's funny. In fact, I had a, co-host i'm not, not going to mention names but he once said he's like you know every so often you have a co-host who's not very good on staff picks and i'm like yeah and he's like you know what you got to do you got to bury them burn them because you're the voice of the audience if your co-host sucks you got to point it out to speak to the audience and i'm like i can't do that i'm too nice i would never do that but that's the letterman instinct i have to fight every time right <laughs> no I, I think you've got the you've got the good balance there I think you're, you're mostly genial, but every once in a while you, you go in, you go into snarky mode when it's, when it's appropriate. <laughs> I have to, I, again, I'm a very nice person and most people yeah. can say that and don't mean it. I actually am legitimately nice. I don't like being mean to people, but if the joke is there, you have to take it. Sometimes the comedian will always win. <laughs> it, it took me a long time to learn that about you too. Cause I'm like, I'm like, oh, he's such a nice guy, and then and then sometimes every once in a while you say something snarky. It's like, I know that's not who he is, <laughs> but he's going for the joke. The, the joke is king. You should see my survivor writing sometimes. Oh my god, some of the lines I've crossed in that. I've read some of it, and and you've also told me about some of the controversies you've gotten into. So <laughs> I know I I got it. <laughs> okay, I do want to say one more thing though, in seriousness here that. One of the challenges I face in staff picks is that I have a lot of friends who like being on the show and they want to come on a lot. And it does become a bit of a political challenge in who I invite on and who I don't. Mm-hmm. 
And one of the problems is I don't want regular guests on the show. I want it to be different. I want the dynamic to be different. So there's guests that I've had on two, three times that are very good, but I probably will not bring them back on anymore just because I'm trying to set a limit on how many times I bring people back. Oh, wow. So that's one of the things I struggle against right now because I, I just don't want this a thing where I have regulars. I don't like regulars on podcasts. Yeah. Although I'd say if you space them out enough, it would probably be okay. I mean, people probably wouldn't notice as much. It's true, but the people that really follow the show, if I invite somebody on the fourth time, then all the other people that have been on three times are like, hey, when's it my turn? I see what you mean, yeah. It, it gets political, and I don't like, I don't like uh, letting people down or telling people no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, a lot of times I say, oh, we'll talk about it later, and we will never will talk about it later. And you don't want to keep leaning on the same couple of people over and over and over. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Yeah, even though they could be amazing, they could be great podcast guests, I just find that boring. That's not interesting to me. As a, I, want, I want it to be different. I like discovering new people. And you don't want any one person to be like the golden boy of staff picks or the golden girl, right? Yeah, and yeah. that see, there, there's a functionality in that too. If you have a golden boy or a golden host – and all of a sudden they get really famous or really good at this, then it becomes hard to book them because now they start becoming on other shows and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and I never want it to make staff picks difficult to book. I want everything to be super exciting if you get picked to host. So it's, it's, I've, cause I've seen that on other podcasts as well. Your co-host gets too famous and now it's hard to schedule time with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When, when, when you and I finally agreed on a film to do, I felt like I'd won a golden ticket or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, finally, we can we can do an episode because it took us so long to agree on something. Well, you know, and there's reasons for that, too. Sometimes it's I'm dragging my feet. A lot of times other people have one movie that they want to do, but I want them for a different movie. And so they will become a little difficult. They'll like, mm -hmm. well, I'm holding out until I get my movie. And so, like, you can you can get a little tension sometimes. Yeah. And I think the best thing is to for, for people to just relax and know that. Maybe the movie, your your pet movie is not going to be the one that gets you on the podcast. Because yeah. I, I never would have predicted that Sporlosh would have been my first episode, but I love that movie. So it was, you know, and I was happy to talk about it. But, you know, if you ask me to talk about Ghostbusters or Pee-wee's Big Adventure or Gross Point Blank, I could, I could sit down any time and just talk for three hours. But it's actually kind of more fun and, and definitely more challenging to come on and talk about something that you like a lot, but maybe isn't. You know your 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 pet movie. Yeah, it's it's tough because a lot of people have the same pet movie. Yeah, and I, I ran into that with Clue. Do you know how many people told me I got dibs on Clue? And I'm like, I hate to tell you this, but 20 other people have already told me that, so I'm gonna have to pick someone. And I ended up picking a guy who actually you know, directed the stage version of Clue for high school. And I'm like, that's so much more of an advantage on everybody else because he can talk about it from a different level. And I don't think people realize that or even care. And I, again, I don't like hurt, hurting people's feelings, but I have to decide what I think will make the best episode. Yeah. Yeah. And then that was another movie that I would have loved to have done because, you know, Clue was my, was my favorite movie for several years of my life. That was one of the few movies that overtook Ghostbusters at any point. It's just mm -hmm. one of those movies where, the people that love Clue really love Clue. Yeah. Everybody thinks they're the only one. That's the they're problem. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yep. You are not. No, I, I can assure every person listening, you are not the only person who loves Madeline Kahn in Clue. 
Right. <laughs> I think that's it. I have I have nothing else to say. Okay. <laughs> yeah. For the first time we, ever. We covered a lot of ground. So, um, and and thank you again for having me on. Uh, it's it's been an honor. <laughs> It's it's been nice knowing you for over twenty years. <laughs> That's right. We'll meet for the third time in person at some point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And anyway, uh, as as part of Chris's reward for doing this interview with me, he's coming back for Horror Month this year. Which movie did we decide on? It Phantasm, right? I think so. Yeah. Um, okay. I I would be more than happy to come on in October. Uh, this is going to be a, a bittersweet October since you know. Most theaters are closed, and October is like my Christmas. I'm usually going to L.A. all the time, going to different screenings and going to marathons. So um, I'd be happy to come back and talk about something. Okay, well, I'll have you on. To cheer you up, we talk about a movie where they rob graves. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good to me. I think that's it. I'm not sure who's supposed to sign off this interview now. Yeah, since since I'm the interviewer, but you're the host, so I, I don't know. I All right, know. well, I'll, I'll, I'll cut you off here. Okay, well. He's, he's thank, the DJ, I'm the rapper. That's right. Thank you, DJ Jazzy Jeff. But, uh, yeah, again, thank you to all my listeners for following Staff Picks. Again, I don't have the largest audience, but I do have a pretty dedicated one, and I appreciate the feedback. And, again, all I want to do is – spread some love into the world for movies that have always meant something to me. And all, all I do is I go out there and I, I really just watch movies and I'm like, is this movie special or is it not? And unfortunately most movies are not special, but I always try to find something little in them that is special. If there is, I will be sure to tell you about it because I want you to appreciate it too. So again, thank you for listening. My name is Mario Lanza. This is staff picks. If you need to reach me, you can reach me at staff picks podcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at Mario J Lanza. Until next time, I'll be out there searching for more movies that deserve more love, and I'll try to find somebody interesting to come on and talk about them. And you guys are in for a treat. I have a great episode on the Muppet movie coming out in a couple of days. So thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you guys later. Bye. I enjoy planting bombs in people's cars. These are a few of my favorite things. Sick, don't ask. You miss, fuckface?